This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Politics is Everything, a podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ong a co-host. And I'm Miles Coleman, the associate editor of The Crystal Ball. Miles, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. We're going to be talking about ticket splitting. Um, I wonder if you can start by explaining what ticket splitting is, and have there been patterns of ticket splitting historically in American elections? Oh, sure. Yes. It's, uh, well, what's going to be different about this year, obviously, being a midterm year, um, the presidential contest isn't going to be the thing that sort of dominates everything. You know, this is going to be the focus this year is going to be more on state level stuff. Uh, Specifically, there are 26 states, so a little over half of the country's worth. There are 26 states this year uh, that have elections for both Senate and governor. Um, And some of those races are very important. You you know, know, they think of states like Pennsylvania. Uh, or Arizona, you know, there are definitely some blockbuster races among these uh, among the, these uh, states. Um, and my kind of thinking going into this was, okay, well, some of these states, if they have two close races for Senate and governor, it seems to reason that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, if both of those races are close, they might go to either party. Uh, so that's what I sort of investigated uh, for this week, um, and kind kind of a cutoff that um, Kyle and I like to use at the Crystal Ball when doing these historical, you know, analyses um, is we like to look at the post-war era. That's usually kind of a nice. Uh, Uh, frame of reference. Um, So what I did for this is I was looking at midterms uh, from 1904-46 onward. So this would be 19 cycles of midterms, so decent amount of data. Um, And over that time, what the pattern has been was, you know, very low amount of ticket splitting in the 1940s and 1950s. Uh, what you have to keep in mind there, you know, that was before Republicans were really competitive in the South. So so you had less of a pool to draw from. Uh, but really in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, really even into 2006, um, it was really commonplace for states to for there to be 10 or more states each cycle uh, to split their tickets. So, you know, very low very low amount of party loyalty. It was more of a vote for the person type of a thing. Uh, you know, that's fallen off somewhat. The, the last three mid, mid, midterms, uh, 2018, 2014, and 2010, you know, had some, had probably five or, or six instances of ticket splitting each. So it's still, you know, so it would stand to reason that, you know, if this year falls in line with recent history, we should have at least a few states that are, um, that are interesting because honestly, you know, one reason I was looking at this is as an election analyst and really someone who, you know, as, as a lot of people who follow me probably know, I'm really into political maps. 
And for me, the most boring thing in the world is just a straight party result for everything. I'm like, no, there's no variance. There's nothing interesting. Uh, so hopefully we should have a few cases of that this year. Well, speaking of the map, um, you know, so looking back, uh, let's let's look at like the 2018 midterms. Um, and there was a, a high um, correlation between a state or a district's partisanship and then how it voted for Senate or House. Um, and so what do you think in 2022, which states do you think are likely to see split results and why might that be? Sure. So I'll say very quickly on 2018 first, really, if you look at where the the splits were, it was entirely one way, you know, other than uh, there were six instances in 2018. um, And except for Maine, which is sort of an asterisk because you have Angus King, who's a who's 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 an who's who's an independent, but technically technically a Democrat, his state elected a Democrat. In in 2018, the, the uh, splits were all in one way. Uh, Arizona, Massachusetts, Maryland, Ohio, and Vermont all sent Democrats to the Senate, but they elected Republicans as governor. And oftentimes this would, would be like your Larry Hogan's or your Charlie Baker's who were these kind of personally popular Republicans who had their own brands. Um so with that in mind, I think that what when I first kind of started writing that piece, my my mind went to kind of the competitive states. Okay, you know, uh, maybe it's going to be in Arizona or Pennsylvania. But I did this, and I'm like, no, duh, the uh, most obvious candidate this year is going to be Vermont, uh, because that is a state where. You have Phil Scott, who is the Republican governor. He's who's probably probably the most liberal Republican today in statewide office across the whole country. Um, the Democrats are very favored to hold the open Senate seat there. So Vermont is a really rare instance where we have both of the Senate and governor's races rated as safe for either side. So that seems most likely. Uh, next door in New Hampshire uh, looks like a decent case as well because you have the Republican governor there, Chris Sununu. Uh, he somewhat un- unexpectedly took a pass on challenging Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan for Senate. Um, and really, without him challenging her, she is not overwhelmingly favored, but she's we have her race as lean Democratic. So, so that's one. Uh, which could, could could see a split as well. Um, a state like Kansas, which is which has a very sleepy race for the Senate, uh, but they have a Democratic governor who's in a toss-up race. Um, so it's not just going to be the states that we think of as competitive that may be prone to uh, splitting their ticket. You know what I what what I think was. Sort of a good, a good example of this to kind of take it home to Virginia. Last year, for our statewide statewide office, you know, here we elect, you know, governor got most of the attention, obviously, and probably rightfully so. Uh, but we also had elections for lieutenant governor and um, uh, and attorney general. They were all very close. They were all decided with within two points. 
uh, but the Republicans narrowly won all of them. So in some of these closer states, you may get sort of straight party results like that. Uh, you know, I think of the kind of of the kind of states we think of as toss-up states. Uh, I I think Georgia seems to be the most likely case because you have Governor Brian Kemp there. You know, I think he is, you know, especially after his really big win in his primary, he's seen as a little independent from Donald Trump now. That may help him get some crossover votes. Um, I think I think really Raphael Warnock, the Democratic senator there, entered this year and really entered this cycle very beatable. Uh, but Republicans chose to make it hard for that themselves. I think had they had they nominated someone other than Herschel Walker, I I think that you know that race could be looking better for for them. Um, what's also interesting about Georgia is it is the only state basically uh, that has this rule with these general election runoffs. Uh, meaning, you know, if you don't get 50% in November, you have to go again. You know, there are a few other states like that, but they they kind of use these jungle state primaries. You know, my home state of Louisiana, that's a great example. But Georgia is sort of unique like that. So point being, we there could be a case where, let's say, the Senate race goes to a, a runoff, but the governor's race is decided in November. Uh, so that's another interesting quirk of Georgia. As we're talking, your insights remind me about how, uh, Chris, you and Kyle have been looking into the role um, that candidate experience and candidate qualities play. And political scientists Barry Burden and David Kimball have you know, debunked the myth that voters prefer divided government to one-party control. Um, and they make the case against interpreting the frequency of divided government as a mandate for compromise between the party's extremist positions. Um, you know, they, they argue that ticket splitting and divided government are the unintentional results of lopsided campaigns, um, as well as the blurring of party differences. And you've, you've sort of, um, alluded and, and spoken about this already, just in terms of, you know, we have different, um, kinds of candidates that have different levels of experience. Um, and, um, and then we've also got just sharpening policy differences between the parties, um, uh, increasingly over over the last few decades. Um, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why we might see voters split their ballots um, uh, in this election uh, in those in those cases uh, uh, where you've highlighted it might occur. Yeah, sure. And you know what I think sort of contributes to that as well uh, is. You know, it, it's not something I've really written on, but I think you have this generational divide as well. I, I'm, I mean, I often, um, I often talk about my uh, grandparents being the sort of stereotypical vote for the person type of voters. You know, they haven't voted Democratic since, you know, maybe since I was, I was, I was born in a presidential contest. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they kind of came up in Louisiana with Huey Long and Hale Boggs. So they'll talk about these Democrats, but they'll be voting Republican recently. And that makes them, you know, just because 
you know, just because they have this uh, nostalgia for these other Democrats, you know, they'll vote for someone like our governor, John Bell Edwards. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of this goes back to, you know, I mentioned uh, Phil Scott earlier in Vermont. One reason why he's so successful um, in a state like that um, is Republicans give him enough leeway to have some policy differences with their party. I think Phil Scott really, and you know, he's not up this year, but uh, uh, but uh, John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, uh, who's our uh, who's our Democratic governor in Louisiana. Neither of those match their typical party stances on abortion, for example. You know, Scott's a pro-choice Republican. Edwards is a pro-life Democrat. Um, you know, we saw, in, you know, we're recording on Wednesday, abortion was a huge issue in this special election last night that the Democrats want. Um, so I think a big part of this is that Democrats and Republicans have to run candidates who fit the area. I think that really contributes to higher uh, higher levels of split ticket voting. You know, I, I was talking about 2018. You know, some of the Republicans who won that year were Charlie Baker in Massachusetts uh, and Larry Hogan, who, who are both very anti-Trump Republicans these days. Um, and I'm... Um, and sort of looking at the primaries this year, it looks like Republicans are going to replace both of those candidates with, you know, far right Trumpier type of candidates who are going to go on to lose the general elections. So the parties really would be doing well to run candidates who fit the area. Uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's definitely something that has uh, contributed to this. But, you know, just because the parties are really more uh, are really getting more ideologically sorted uh, I feel like we're seeing tickets playing less so in the 2020 election and and previous surveys um, Pew Research Center has asked voters whether they would split their tickets um, just four percent of registered voters in 2020 said they would do so. In their findings, there were there were generational differences within their survey, um, but also the level of education of voters and how engaged voters were in the election also mattered. So those who were less engaged um, uh, or had uh, lower levels of education were more likely to split their ticket versus um, those who were more attuned to what was happening and um, uh, and and to those with higher levels of education. Um, I wonder if you can talk at all about um, you know why uh, what this what this might tell us about um, campaigns more broadly and and elections. I think now the incentive is increasingly, you know, talk to your party base. It's less, you know, get the, you know, there are, um, you know, there are seemingly less persuadable voters these days. You know, it's, as you said, you know, even, um, even though we will probably see a few instances of ticket splitting this year, you know, it's probably going to be not a huge chunk of the electorate overall. We're talking single digits, maybe. So, you know, it's something that, you know, us from a very academic perspective, we like to see. Uh, but, you know, it's def it's uh, it's certainly not a majority of the electorate. 
Um, I thought that finding was sort of interesting because, you know, in 2020, I know just to kind of show you how on the, the decline it is, 2016 was the first time uh, since the popular election of senators uh, where every state voted exactly the same way as it did for president, for Senate. Um, and to us, you know, again, that's not something I like to, to see because that's really boring. 2020 wasn't really much better because the only um, the only instance between the, the uh, between the uh, pre- presidential and Senate contests was Susan Collins in Maine. Uh, everything else, you know, was basically straight ticket. Yeah, there there were some uh, uh, you know there were some different coalitions that Trump and say the Republicans had. Um, you know, within an individual state. Uh, for example, you know, uh, in my home state of North Carolina, Trump usually ran a bit behind the Republican candidates in the suburbs, but better in the rural areas. So it sort of balanced out, and it was Republican. You know, and the and the Republicans were able to uh, were able to uh, win there. But yeah, I think educational poll polarization is sort of interesting. Uh, because I think that's what really, you know, what we're seeing, you know, not to kind of kind of contest that point, but I've almost seen the opposite in that it is the, um, at least in the last few elections, it seems to be the educated vote or at least the college educated vote. You know, I don't want to, I don't want, want to be too condescending and say the educated voters, but it's, it's, it's usually those more college educated voters who, you know, will vote for someone like Elizabeth Warren for Senate. But okay, you know, Charlie Baker is, you know, he's a sensible Republican and I can vote for him. Um, Whereas, you know, someone like John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, uh, you know, his reelection in 2018 uh, and his reelection in 2019 uh, was was very much a knife fight. He only won by... A few points, and just because Louisiana is, you know, it's a less college-educated state, um, so it's it's. Uh, I mean, however, in 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 really 2020, the Democrats were able to hold, um, uh, were able to win over some districts that Trump carried. Um, so you know, it's not you know, it's 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 not completely lost. Uh, but yeah, I think the point of educational poll polarization is interesting because that's. I mean, that's something I've been, you know, just sort of, just sort of broadly on this. I've been telling people, you know, just really coming out of the Trump era, I mean, education is becoming just as big a marker of someone's voting habits as, you know, gender or race. You know, I just, in fact, I was telling someone the, the other day, what may help the Democrats this midterm uh, is I was looking back um, at some exit polls from, from 2010, which was Obama's first midterm, that college-educated white bloc was a 60-40 Republican group. Uh, now, I think both in 2018 and 2020, they were 54-46 Democrats. So a big shift there. Um, and you know, that, that, that is driving our politics in some interesting ways. 
Um, so one theory of why ticket splitting occurs is that voters perceive it as a way to policy balance. Um, and that, and by that, um, I mean that it's a way to achieve a, a more moderate policy outcome. Um, again, you know, Barry Burden and David um, Kimball have kind of debunked um, that as, as sort of a, a main reason. But, you know, it might be occurring in some parts of, of the electorate. But I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of policy balancing as a motivation in 2022, you know, given the salience of certain issues like the, given the salience of certain issues this year, like gun violence and abortion. After 2020, you know, when it was, I mean, really one reason why Republicans did so so well in the House uh, is because they ran well in these higher income suburban areas and one one of my friends who 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 is a pollster immediately tells me after the the election you know it's just these um just those rich suburbanites like the illusion of balance right so that's that's uh that's a theory that's gotten a lot of of uh, a lot of press uh but yeah i would say kind of going on that is what i'm looking for this year is it's going to be interesting like where the splits are but between a state pennsylvania i think is a very good example of that because if you i feel like if you talk to a lot of democrats they they would rather win the governor's race and lose the senate race even though that if they had that kind of pick because all the the thinking from a lot of democrats seems to be okay well if we elect Doug Mastriano, who's a Republican running for governor there, you know, he's basically said, no, no matter what happens in the 2024 election, if I'm governor, I'm not going to certify a Democratic win. You know, that is, you know, that's scary. I think he could, you know, low-key be one, one of the most, uh, <laughs> one of the most, uh, uh, scary candidates in that regard who's running that that cycle, um, and you know, really with you know abortion kind of taking a front role the uh, this midterm, what the Supreme Court did is you know it basically kicked the, the decision on on abortion more or less to the, these states. I think, you know, this doesn't really relate to tickets in terms of Senate and governor, but uh, someone told me on Twitter, which I think is probably a good theory, um, is what this Supreme Court ruling could do um, is it could really hurt those Republican legislators who are left in these, you know, and, you know, historically Republican types of districts that have trended Democrats. Okay, well, you know, we're we're uh we're not going to keep voting for, for you if you support your uh, party on these social issues. Um, so you know, I think that's been you know, even if we don't see much action on on that front uh, on the statewide level, um, that could be at play more in these legislative races too.
Miles, the extremely close competitive balance between the two major parties means that ticket splitters um, could determine which party controls each branch of government. Uh, Some observers this year have said that straight ticket voting might improve chances for Democrats to retain the majority in the Senate. Um, What are your thoughts on how straight or split ticket voting might impact the election results this year? Sort of going into this election cycle, one of the few things that seemed like that was playing in the Democrats' favor, specifically on the Senate, um, is when the the Democrats last lost the Senate in 2014. Uh, One of the reasons why they lost it was because they were defending incumbent members in Louisiana and Arkansas and Alaska, they they were defending open seats in West Virginia, South Dakota. In other words, these are areas that you wouldn't normally expect to elect Democrats. If they were going to win these seats, they were going to be very dependent on ticket splitting. And, you know, there was in, in a lot of those cases, they still got some, but just not <laughs> enough as they needed. Uh, what's going to be different about this year um, is because we've been going through this, you know, this kind of, kind, kind of geographic and, and ideological sort for these past few cycles, the Democrats entered the 2022 Senate elections uh, only having to defend seats that Joe Biden carried. So they're not having to defend any Joe Manchins this cycle, <laughs> you know, it's in these super red states. Um, so it's, it's, you know, if, uh, so Democrats aren't going to need as much ticket splitting to hold those seats in the Senate, you know, if they can match Biden's performance, you know, we had a, you know, not to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always difficult extrapolating from the special elections because special elections are, as the cliche goes, special. You know, well, the special elections in New York last night, in both cases, there were actually uh, two special elections, both in upstate New York. The Democratic candidates beat Biden's margin in both of those states. In fact, we've had four special elections since since Roe has been overturned, uh, and Democrats beat Biden's margin in all four of them. Um, so it is, I think that that key thing there is especially for the, the Senate this year, Democrats aren't in a position where they have to rely on this massive amount of ticket splitting. Well, Miles, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and analysis on politics as everything this week. All right. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to doing this more. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Fays. Learn more about the Center for Politics and our work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to clo3s at virginia.edu. Until next time. 